This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Maliha Sayed. Today we're looking at Seattle's new pilot program that dispatches mental health crisis responders on 911 calls. Often we don't need a gun and badge. We need people trained and skilled at the kind of outreach and kind of treatment that we want to see. This dual dispatch pilot is exactly that, a positive step. In late October, the city soft launched its Community Assisted Response and Engagement, or CARE team, to respond to mental and behavioral health crises with police officers. This dual dispatch program is the latest example of how cities are redefining policing and exploring alternative response options. In this episode, we speak with reporter Nimra Ahmed about what the CARE team does how this differs from other alternative response efforts in Seattle, and what it was like to go on ride-alongs with team members as they responded to calls in real time. So to clarify, this is for Seattle's new CARE program. What does that stand for? Yeah, it's like kind of complicated. Basically, so CARE is the Community Assisted Response and Engagement Department. So that's the third public safety department in Seattle. It's basically on the same level as SPD, SFD. And so within CARE is the 911 call center. So that's one thing. Um, It used to be within SPD, but it was moved to the, the CARE department. And part of that is the CARE team, which is what I wrote about. So the CARE team is a group of community crisis responders, um, mental health experts, behavioral health experts, people that have a lot of experience within um, crisis response. And um, they are currently doing a pilot called the dual dispatch pilot, where they are dispatched with police officers to calls that may involve a mental health or behavioral health crisis. The pilot program will have six mental health professionals who will work in teams of two to respond to calls where dispatchers believe police are not needed, like wellness checks on people downtown showing mental health crisis symptoms. So the care department is like the big umbrella, and then like within that is the care team, the community crisis responders who are doing that pilot. The program has been in the works since 2020 when people in the community called for police reform. And you, for this story, did some field reporting. And so you went on, it sounds like two ride-alongs. How did your day start? What did you do? And yeah. So I went on the ride-alongs with our associate photo editor, Jenna Martin, who photographed for this story. And so for the first ride along, we like showed up at the Seattle Municipal Tower and their car, it's like, it doesn't look like a police car. Um, it denotes that it's like the care team, but yeah, it's, it doesn't look like a police car. So it was interesting was that the first ride along that I did um, was back in November. And that was actually the first day that they were being dispatched directly from 911 calls. Before that, they they had to be requested by um, patrol officers. I was with um, a guy named Abdi Muhammad and a woman named Sasha Pollock. And they said that they had gotten like three calls already and like it looked like it was going pretty well. Um, And then Jenna and I were in the ride along for four hours and there were no calls. (laughs) A, it was like the first day that they were working in that capacity. And B... The thing with this pilot is that they have to be dispatched with police officers so that the police officers can go and clear the scene um, and ensure that it's safe. Because the care team, it's unarmed. Um, They don't do any enforcement. They don't do any of that. So SPD has to go to, like, make sure that it's safe. But a lot of the calls that they're responding to are what they call, like, priority three, priority four calls. Um, So lower priority calls where there's not a medical emergency or, like... Um, any violence or like kind of imminent danger at that point. And 
I think on these particular days, they were busier with priority one, priority two calls. And so without those police officers available to like go and clear the scene, like they couldn't go and do their job. So that was kind of the main thing that I observed within the first ride along. And when you were talking about it's the first day that it was housed within the 911 call system, does that mean that they could be essentially dispatched on their own at this point? Or do they always have to be dispatched with police officers? So they're, it's interesting, they're in their own car. um, And it's basically that they need to be dispatched simultaneously with police officers. So if, for example, if there's a situation and it seems like it's more suited to the care team, could someone just call 911? And then 911 would say, okay, this is exclusively for the care team. And they'll have police officers with them, but it's not like this is a police exclusive type of event. Like the care team could be the lead on that. Yes, yes, that's the point. Um, they are supposed to take the lead. Um, the police officers are just there to basically make sure that's safe. That being said, if you're like calling 911, you can't like request the care teams like up to the dispatch and the department to determine if that's something that they should respond to. Um, so you can't request them. But, you know, the whole point is that they're supposed to take the lead and SPD is just there. After they've cleared the scene, they can leave. So that's that's supposed to help with kind of the backlog of, you know, there's a decreased staff of like police officers and so many 911 calls. Council members say there is an urgent need with the data showing that in nearly every police precinct, response times have increased. But unless we have uh, a fully staffed police department to be able to respond to those calls, the calls are going to sit there and wait for an officer. There are a couple of other programs that are already considered like alternative crisis response. So how is this different? One of the big things that makes it different from specifically the SPD crisis response team is that what that program does is um, it pairs a police officer with a social worker, mental health expert of some sort together in a police car. Also with the SPD crisis response team, a lot of the calls that they're responding to are higher priority where they could involve a medical emergency, they could involve threat of danger, like threat of violence. And then it's different from the downtown emergency service center mobile crisis team too, because it's embedded with the safety departments. It is a safety department, and so it's embed. It has access to the same systems that SPD and SFD have access to, and so it kind of makes that that communication more seamless. Just thinking about that first day, what were some of the things that you did? You know, where did y'all go? So it was a lot of like driving through, kind of the area. Right now, it's just focused on downtown and. A lot of like what the first ride along was, was really just me getting like to talk to these care team members and and seeing how they're feeling, you know, how they feel about the whole process, how they feel like it's going and everything. Um, It was a good like introductory ride along, even though we didn't, they didn't get like any calls. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, too, because I guess in my mind, it sounds like it's maybe similar to what police officers do, which is like you're not just waiting on standby at an office to be dispatched, like you are actively patrolling and assessing what's going on in your service area. Yeah, exactly. And they said, you know, that's what they do normally, too, is that they drive they they drive around. They don't just like stay in the office. They keep supplies in the back, you know, because a lot of like what they offer is stuff like like blankets, food, water, and they have clothes and stuff that you can like go back for um, in their office. And then your second ride along, when did you end up doing that? I did that one in December. 
with Jenna Martin again. And who was in that car, and what was that day like? Abdi was there again. Um, he was great. And then, then there was a man named Chris Anava. Um, and so it was it was the two of them. And that one was was a busy day. They had already gotten one call before us. There was a woman that was undressed and like in distress and everything. And so they were able to like go back to the office, grab her some clothes, and they were also able to connect her with a shelter um, that wasn't open yet, but the shelter had like a waiting area that she could go to for the time being um, to wait for them to open and to see if she could secure a spot. They actually technically got four calls during that, but they were only able to address two. And were you there for the two calls that they responded to? Yes, yes. What were those calls about? So the first one was there was a woman. She was with a a companion. She was with um, a man. And I believe they were staying at like a shelter and at a hotel or something. And she had actually, she had taken a shower with all her clothes on. um, And so she was completely wet. And they showed up to the SPD, uh, I think West Precinct. They showed up to one of the SPD precincts. So uh, it had essentially already been cleared by SPD, and they just gave a call to care. And so they went back to the office. They grabbed some clothes, particularly in her size and everything. And then we then we just drove back to SPD, and they were yeah they were both there. The woman wasn't really verbal; um, she didn't really speak. And so we were mostly speaking to the man who was like her companion and everything. And he was talking about like wanting to relocate to Oregon. And and so they were kind of like talking about services that they could offer with that, you know, relocation services. Um, did they have somewhere to stay for the night? And they just gave her like a cup of noodles, like the ramen cup of noodles and some water and they made some tea. Um, they weren't like in a rush, which was something that I definitely noticed was that they were taking their time, even though it wasn't, you know, like some crazy thing that was going on. It seemed like they maybe could have like left earlier, but they took the time to really like talk to this guy. They took the time to make sure that the girl was okay, that she changed. And and yeah, so that was the first call. The second call was one that they got while they were dealing with this one. Um, and it was about a 70 year old woman in Belltown that was getting evicted from her home. And so when we showed up, there were already two police officers there. And she was very much in distress. She was just talking, talking to the police officers, like saying, like, you know, help me. I need to go back. Like, like she was in shock and she was in denial and like very like stubborn too. you know, very adamant about she was she was saying that she was just going to stay outside until they let her back in as, you know, they were taking her stuff out of her apartment and everything. And yeah, it was really hard for me to see. Um, that was one thing I was glad that Jenna was there because I did have to like take a step back for a moment because it was really sad. You know, the woman was like crying and it was it was really hard to see. And she was alone. She was her husband had recently passed. She didn't have any kids. So, but that call it took several hours for for them to um, to to address it and to resolve it. Is that why they couldn't respond to the other two calls? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are there other care team members who are able to respond to those or is it just a few staffers right now? I want to say they have a total of six and they work in pairs but there's only two working at a time in one car and and so they did have to like deny I think to decline two other calls that they got during this time and so that's one thing you know like that kind of shows like a need for this like a need for 
you know, maybe like a bigger version of this program. Because again, also, you know, they're only focused on downtown now. And so if the pilot is successful, there are hopes that it could expand in terms of like a larger location and also, you know, maybe get get more care team members out there too. So that um, I know that Chris and Abdi, they were talking about, you know, the ideal would be to have two teams out at a time. Um, so like four of them out at a time so that they can address those other calls. And from the jump, were you planning to go on two ride-alongs or did you go on that second ride-along because the first was quieter? Yeah, uh, yeah. I wasn't planning on going on two, but yeah, because the first one was like quiet, um, I did want to go on another one because I felt like I wouldn't be able to show the fullness of what they're doing without really seeing them address those calls. Yeah, and I guess I think there's only so much that you can get from an interview, like a sit-down formal interview with someone who's talking about the program versus seeing it in real time. What was it like for you, like you said on that second ride-along, to just see the work that they were doing actively? Yeah, it was, um, like, I'm really glad that I did it. I don't think the story would have been the same without it. I think a lot of what they were doing, particularly with that second woman, the woman that was getting evicted, was convincing her to go to a shelter, to go find a place to stay that night, to to leave her things outside, you know, in an alleyway. And it kind of just made me, it, it kind of just made me think, there are a lot of people that could be in crisis, but they don't necessarily want to accept help. Or like, she was looking for a different kind of help. She was looking for, I want to stay in my apartment. I don't want to leave. You know, they, they even talked to the manager of the building or the property manager. But, um, you know, he was very, he, he was, you know, like, she cannot come back. She, you know, this was like the last resort. And so a lot of what they were having to do was just like, you know, if, if they didn't convince her, you know, she would have stayed in that alleyway and in Belltown at night. And so that was kind of when I was really noticing that a lot of what they're having to do is be patient. They were being very, very patient because this was several hours. This was the majority of the ride along of just trying to convince her um, and trying to work with her. And really, you know, she was she was really in that shock stage and that denial stage and really just trying to like you know, make her realize that, you know, her stuff is important, but her life is more important and she needs to, she won't be able to take all of her things. She needs to prioritize like the most important things to her um, and find a place to stay for the night. Even like, as I was watching this woman get evicted, watching this woman in crisis, I was just thinking like, this is enough. Like, you know, I don't need to deal with this ever. I don't need to see something like this ever again. But Everything that they confront is an emergency. Everything that they deal with is somebody that could be in like emotional distress. I remember Chris specifically saying that he felt like he felt pretty positive about it just because he's like, at least we're doing something to kind of help people. You know, he was like, even if the homeless shelters, a lot of them are overpopulated, they're over full, they can't take any more people. So sometimes they can't, you know, find a shelter for somebody. Um, you know, not everything necessarily has a happy ending, but he said, like, at least we were able to, like, be there for somebody during during a moment of crisis. You know, these people, they're just showing up and they're little windbreakers and, um, you know, unarmed. And they're just like, let's let's take this one step at a time. Like, let's calm down a little bit and like, let's talk about this and see what we can do for you, like what we can offer you. And I thought that that was really beautiful because it's, it's not an easy job. Yeah. Yeah, that seems evidence like the intimidation that people feel when they see a police officer, like, it feels like even having them come in in separate vehicles seems to be a really intentional move to make sure 
the care team doesn't get too heavily associated with some of the perceptions that people have of police. Yeah. I think it was really intentional that they made it so that they're not armed. You know, I think that that was a big conversation that was happening in 2020 during the Black Lives Matter movement when a lot of the conversations were about police alternatives. And even though that means that they have to respond to lower priority calls because they have to stay safe themselves, they might be, quote unquote, lower priority calls in like the big scheme of things. But to that person, it, it could be the biggest emergency of their lives. You know, like that woman that was getting evicted, that was probably one of the worst days of her life. I didn't include any names in the story of, of the people that were in crisis. I was very aware of the fact that this is like the worst day, you know, and the last thing you want on the worst day of your life is for it to be documented. I knew it was essential to the story that I was trying to tell about the care team. And, you know, I knew that it, it had to be included, but I mean, it was hard. And I was trying to just be as good of like a bystander person in that moment. Like I said, there was at one point when I, I was just, you know, a little bit overwhelmed with emotion and I had to go step away for a second, which is okay to do. I think it seems like sometimes people expect for us to be like rocks. You know, we're just there to cover the story and we're going to be ob- as objective as possible. We're just taking notes. We're just trying to get the quote, trying to get the story, whatever. I think it's good to show that you're a human. Um, it's good to show that you might be feeling something from this and that's okay. And if anything, it could be of comfort to the other person to know that, like, seeing them in distress puts you in distress in a way. And also just showing that, like, you care. I wasn't there just to, like, oh, I'm going to cover this story and, like, I'm done. Like, I was genuinely interested in wanting to make sure that this person was going to be okay. And, you know, I was letting care do their job. And at one point they did ask us to actually stop shooting, to stop, like, taking photos. And Jenna did. And... You know, I, I put away my notebook. Um, I, I was like, I'm just going to have to focus on, on memory and stuff because I knew that it would put her more in distress just to see me taking notes. Um, I think it's important to to make those like real life connections and um, and to show that that you care about the community that you're covering. Obviously, you reported on this program. You researched it beforehand. You went and experienced it. Regardless of what other people told you about it or the care team told you, just from your own observations, like how would you describe this program? What does it do? Um, I think it adds another dimension to public safety in the city. Um, I think a lot of times when we think of public safety, it's so many times viewed in stuff like medical emergencies and police need to show up and criminals and crimes and everything. But sometimes there are just people that are just in, in personal distress and just need like help and being talked to. And so I thought that... I thought that that was really interesting, and I like that they're all experts, that they've all done it before, and that they're all so patient, and that they really gave every situation the time it needed before departing. What does the future of this program look like? It's in such an early stage right now, but just based on your observations and some of the conversations that you had, what's coming next for the CARE program? So I think the first hope is that they'll expand geographically so that they'll expand into more parts of the city than just downtown. And that, you know, with the expansion of the program, there could possibly maybe be more providers um, so that they can respond to more calls. And so I think that's the hope. I did ask about, you know, will there ever be a point where they're dispatched without police officers? You know, will it ever become like a true police alternative? There's not really like a clear answer to that right now, but, you know, I think that's something that's worth 
thinking about, you know, if if the pilot is deemed successful and um, they they continue to expand. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode is reported by Nemra Ahmed. It was produced by Sarah Bernard and me, Maliha Sayed. The story editor was Brian Fumulator. Our executive producer is Sarah Menzies. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you would like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docuseries we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Ali Hasayad. We'll be back soon with another episode.